0: Hi, it's your Move the Deal podcast host Greg Moore here. Today's episode is part of a special series featuring our inaugural class of Miller Heiman Group Icons, which honors and brings together our global client facilitators as trusted ambassadors of our methodology and skills programs. Nominated from more than a thousand active client facilitators using stringent criteria based on their expertise and successes in strategic accounts, our Icons represent the best of the best. To learn more about our Icons program. And how you can nominate someone for our 2020 class, please visit www.millerheimangroup.com MHG icons 2020. Without further ado, let's get today's episode started. You know, when we hit a bump in the road, we definitely
1: have to go course correct and explain the reasons why and why it's going to be better, let's say, a second time or doing it differently.
0: Welcome back to this episode of Move the Deal podcast. Move the Deal is a podcast by Miller-Hyman Group for sales leaders looking for timely insights on how they can win their must-win deals. See the move that moves the deal. And for sales ops, sales enablement, and talent professionals that aspire to provide their sales teams with world-class tools, talent, and technology, subscribe to our podcast at movethedeal.com. This is your host, Greg Moore. I'm pleased to be joined by Mr. Nick Gregory today. Nick heads up Sabre's global sales enablement. Most of us have heard of Sabre, the $4 billion travel technology company based in Texas. If you have ever traveled, stayed in hotels, flown on an airplane, you most certainly have interacted with Sabre's award-winning, cutting-edge booking systems. At Miller hammond Group, we work with clients every day around the globe on their sales transformations. These are typically multi-year, multi-faceted, complex engagements. So we know when we see a standout organization doing things right. We've had the pleasure of working with the good folks at Sabre for several years now on their sales transformation journey and have been very impressed with what they've accomplished under Nick's leadership. And that's why I wanted to have Nick on the show. So without further ado, let's hear what Nick has to say. Nick Gregory, welcome, my friend. Great to have you on the podcast today.
1: Thanks, Greg. Happy to be here.
0: And I got to tell our listeners Nick and I had a chance to spend some time together on the main stage at our client summit in Arizona earlier this year. And I was so impressed with the story that Nick told about the sales enablement transformation journey that he's undertaken in his role as the head of sales enablement at Sabre Travel Network and working across several of the business units at Sabre. So Nick, if it's okay with you, I would love to start with just what attracted you to the role of sales enablement in the first place.
1: Yeah, Greg, you know, if we go back about uh, 10, 11 years, you know, I started out in sales and very early on, I saw this new field, this new discipline forming what we know now as sales enablement. So after some time in sales, I really wanted to, after seeing this opportunity, stay close to sales, but explore this new field and, and truly pay it forward. So I got into sales enablement, or what we call sales enablement, and haven't really looked back since.
0: I like that you've called out that this is a relatively new industry. I would say if you turn the clock back, say, five years ago, more often than not, we would see this as essentially a different set of words that was essentially defining training. But what was it like when you got to Sabre?
1: Yep. So when I joined Sabre, Greg, you know, Really, sales enablement was specifically a training function and obviously joining the company. I know we need to take this much broader and beyond what you would think of typical sales training or or typical learning and development, truly to a strategic practice for the company, where of course training is an element of sales enablement, but we, we need to align ourselves with the corporate strategic imperatives or the objectives of the company. And, you know, obviously move forward with those, it could take many forms within enablement. So obviously we do sales training and things of that nature, but we also go into coaching. We go into pipeline and funnel reviews. So it's much broader, much more strategic in nature. And that's how this has evolved over the last, let's say, two plus years.
0: I think that reflects very nicely the trends that we're seeing at Miller-Hyman Group with many organizations as they try to elevate the strategic importance of their sales enablement functions. And maybe I can ask you to comment, and I'll actually call out in advance that when I've asked this question before, it's been a bit of a hot potato, is (laughs) where should sales enablement report into? So as a thought leader in this realm, do you have a perspective of maybe what the considerations are that an organization should think about when establishing those reporting lines, or if you're a sales enablement professional, you know where you should be thinking these reporting lines should exist.
1: Yeah, where I think they really should exist, especially this day and age, as this field of sales enables has really evolved, is really direct reporting line into sales leadership. Now that may be regional for your company, it may be globally from a chief revenue officer, or chief commercial officer, but in the relatively short time period that sales enablement or what we call sales enablement has been around. It's really evolved from, you know, sitting in led, moving into marketing maybe, or sales operations, now to kind of stand on its own reporting directly into sales leadership. What do you think sales enablement should be responsible for? Yeah. So obviously a training is a big component of it and still exists and, and is and permeates today in sales enablement. So all things encompassing of sales training, uh, be, be that business acumen training, industry knowledge training the solution training and skills training such as as methodology beyond that it's taking all of that training and immersing it into the other areas of the business how can we take what we do and immerse that into the sales cadence itself? How can we influence elements of the tech stack, such as a CRM, such as Salesforce? How can we elevate the conversation of what sales training can do to strategic objectives of the company itself, which is much more broad than training I may take online or training I conduct or take in the classroom. It really is driving new behaviors that align to those uh, strategic imperatives. So staying on top of that through regular cadence of conversations with sales leadership, regular conversations with the C-suite in many cases. And that's what we've been fortunate enough at Sabre to do is this is a strategic imperative what we do all the way up to the C-suite. So it's very much, you know, its core or its genesis is, is sales training or training in general, but it's much more broad of what we do today that really spans across the entire organization and broader than sales itself.
0: Yeah. And the whole concept of enablement, right, is what is required for someone to do their job well. Mm-hmm. And it's varied. And while it includes skills and therefore probably some kind of skill development, it's not limited to that. There are so many other things that are required to enable someone to do their job, particularly in the sales function. Absolutely. So here's then where I think the story gets so interesting as you relayed what happened in the last couple of years in your role as head of sales enablement at Sabre. I was really enamored with some of the kind of the guiding principles that you had thought through in advance and, and then you worked to execute to achieve some pretty successful outcomes. Can you just take us through that journey? So, you know, where did it start? What was your remit? And relate to us some of the key discoveries that you had along the way.
1: Yeah, Greg. So, you know, going back to what I mentioned before around strategic imperatives for the company, one of our strategic imperatives was to improve the sales capabilities across the entire company. And with that in mind, everything that we did on this journey aligned and tied back to that and has, to this day, tied back to those uh, to that strategic imperative. So you know, when we take, uh, let's say, the rollout of our sales methodology, there had to be a clear starting point, right? There had to be what got us to where we are today. How do we gain some insights of what got us here and where we want to go in order to improve on this continual journey, right? There's, it's not a finite point of time. So in that effort, we gathered around to say, okay, what is it we're solving for? What what are the metrics we're going to be aligning to? And what's the the true path forward? So in selecting our sales methodology and full transparency being Miller-Hyman, You know, standing on itself just to internalize it was part of the approach, but we also needed to have people join the team and build out the team, my team, in order to support this, not from just the rollout perspective, but the sustainment efforts itself. So this took a significant amount of time in hiring, you know, learning coordinator, hiring coaches that are strategically placed around the globe across the entire business that help with not only facilitation, as I mentioned, but also sustainment efforts. We needed to improve our technology stack. So a part of that was selecting and rehashing a learning management system, as well as our connector into Salesforce as
0: well. Can I ask you just a quick question? So you started, you were a one man show. At what point then was it clear that there were additional headcount needed? What were the drivers to make the investment?
1: Yeah, it was actually early on, very early on before we made the decision to go forward as a part of the overarching plan, knowing that we needed headcount. The coaches were going to be and still are obviously a critical component But that was a part of the go forward plan from the
0: very beginning. Got it. Okay, so to achieve what you wanted to achieve based on the strategic imperatives established by the business, you could see the need for certain headcount to do certain things under that sales enablement structure. Okay, continue on.
1: Yeah, so in this journey specific to our methodology rollout is... You know, we we needed to obviously leverage the brain share at Miller-Hyman themselves. So we we have a a lead consultant that we, of course, partner with and very strong partners. Uh, Sometimes we speak on even on a daily basis. But that partnership is essential and it is to this day.
0: Let's give a shout out to Chris Cowan while we're at this right here. Chris Cowan. Chris. (laughs) Chris Cowan. Yeah. <laughs> Represent. Big hug, Big
1: hug out to you, Chris. <laughs> Terry yeah. Tufford as
0: well. Let's put Terry, Terry in that mix.
1: The, the whole team. <laughs> and you're, you're part of the family too, Greg. <laughs>
0: uh, cheers. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. I digress. Please, yeah. continue. No, no, this, I mean,
1: and the net, net of that is this couldn't be done without that strong partnership. And, you know, partner gets thrown around, that word gets thrown around, and we had to develop that to be in the trenches with us uh, on this journey. Not for, you know, a finite amount of time for one year, but this is continuous and, and long lasting to this day. One of the critical components of this is this, you know, my team can't do it alone. There's a huge accountability and a change management factor for any change going on of this nature. So, getting the buy in from the sales leadership and not, there's not a checkbox exercise. Yep, I got the buy in. We're good to move forward. This is a continuous and constant dialogue. And we have set up regular checkpoints, not only by me, but the sales coaches from around the business to see what's working, what's not working, where do we need to pivot, what are the gaps, where are the leading indicators that are showing things are going well, where are the leading indicators say, hey, you know, we need to work in this area for opportunities.
0: That cadence then with the senior leadership was a formal part of your overall plan. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh,
1: that one-on-one dialogue or one-to-several dialogue with the sales leaders, critical that is long-lasting to this day,
0: Correct. How often were your checkpoints?
1: Yeah, so from a, let's talk about, you know, just the regional VPs uh, across three business units at Sabre. Those typically occur on maybe once every month or once every two months uh, for those checkpoints. But there's engagements along the way, but those are the formal checkpoints.
0: What is the nature of that conversation? You're reviewing what's occurred up to date, what's going well, what's not?
1: Yeah, it's about, and they're very structured in the sense is that we take a step back And really say, okay, what we've accomplished up to this day, but more importantly, what is working and what is not working? What have you seen as the leader of this region or leader of of this business? And then also sprinkle in and inject what it is that our coaches that we're seeing as well. Now, that may be intangibles, but it also may be backed up by data points and data insights that we get, not only from Salesforce as our CM, CRM rather, but also Scout, which is the connection point where we can actually bring the methodology alive. It's really showing how the process should be followed through this platform. So we're backed up by data as well. And at what point did
0: you know what you were doing was working?
1: That's a great question. That's kind of the, you know, one of the big questions is how do we know we're going in the right direction? Yeah. So we set up a couple of things, Greg. One is we set up a steering committee. Now that's also kind of a, a vague, a vague term, so to speak, but what our steering committee is very focused on, it's it's made up of a cross section of the leaders It could be from the regional leadership, it could be from global leadership, but it's a cross section. So we, we have some viewpoints from across the business and the, the steering committee many goal really is to to give us from the field what is it that they're seeing and find maybe some commonalities that we're seeing from that they're seeing from across the globe and we can obviously disseminate that information um, into some common you know some common pain points or some common gaps in reinforcement um, and what are things that we can do as an enable team to support them but just as important what is it that you know our guidance and counsel or coaching that we can give the sales leaders on things that they can improve themselves we're hearing it but we can also play it back well these are areas where you could focus on yourself to help
0: on uh, mm. moving forward. And how well was that feedback received? Did people embrace it and make changes?
1: <laughs> there have been some interesting or, or let's put it a little bit better, uh, difficult conversations to be had and have had taken place about certain areas that kind of putting the mirror in front of their face saying, you know, you've really not reinforced certain areas consistently that is what we agreed upon kind of this verbal contract that you know if we do this then the expectation the ask of you sales leader is that you do this well you know let's pull back and, and revisit that to say these are areas that you know you're not doing well let's say for opportunities to improve on you as a leader coaching your team is a critical component what are the questions you are asking your sales teams in order to follow a process or follow a methodology because sales of this day and age is a process driven uh, field and a practice. What is it that you're following? What is, are the questions, as I mentioned, that you're, you're asking your team? If the kind of deer in headlights uh, comes back at us, then we, we know you know they're not doing the, the day-to-day things, i.e. coaching and developing their team that they should be doing as, as a sales leader, being a first-line leader. A second line or a VP. So uh, there have been some call outs here and there, quite honestly, but they're all learning experiences because we're all in this together at yeah. the
0: end of the day. Yeah, they should be learning experiences. I mean, if we're not trying to get better in any role of the sales function, then wrong career. That's it is. A, <laughs> this is the refiner's fire. We should be continually yeah. sharpening the any, saw. any level of the sales profession. Okay, I have a question for you about uh, one of the things that we often see in these multi-year sales transformations is an organization sometimes either runs out of steam or has a new shiny toy or a competing priority. How did you keep this front and center and on track with your remit? I know there were going to be some mid-course corrections. That's going to be the nature of any kind of complex multi-year implementation, but How did you keep it on track for the period of time that's been going yeah well we have several formal
1: aspects to this one of which is what we call win rooms now these are specific weekly or bi-weekly engagements that we have with sales uh, and sales leadership where it's their opportunity to do an opportunity review all aligned with the methodology it's a cross-functional cross-collaborative meeting that we might bring marketing to the table might bring product delivery, consulting, et cetera, the table on what is it that the account director or the sales account team needs in order to move this particular opportunity forward. These are quick fire meetings that we have. We might, you know, in a given hour have five, six, or seven opportunities that we we'll review. That is a formal construct that we've implemented across the entire company and you know divided up by the regions that's one thing that we put in place the other is as i mentioned before these formal one-on-ones with the sales leadership what's working what's not working the steering committee itself and we also do some spot checking right we we want to make sure that not only is the methodology being followed and the process being followed but you know is it it's not a check the box exercise when you're going into a platform such as Scout that we leverage from Miller Hyman and just fill out sheets, right? It's it's trash in, trash out, but are they truly adopting the methodology the way it should be? So we do some spot checks to help course correct. And it's an opportunity to have a conversation with the account director to say, Hey, here's how I can help you pivot the way you're using the methodology and
0: coach the methodology uh, a little bit better. Can I ask a question about the charter over time? So you started out, you built a plan, you began to execute that plan as things changed or mm-hmm. as you had new insights new data did you have to go back and formally revise the charter and the plan and or then recommunicate that back out we're not. Yeah. No, listen, I mean, on a journey like this, Greg, you know, you're going to be stubbing your
1: toes uh, here and there, especially if it's the first time that the company collectively has gone through such transformation. So the simple answer is is yes, uh, we have conviction in in a lot of the things that we've been doing, and a lot of the things, fortunately, have due to a lot of great planning, data to back it up, and the right people in the right roles, gone very smoothly. But, you know, when we hit a bump in the road, we definitely have to go course correct and explain the reasons why and why it's going to be better, let's say, a second time or doing it differently.
0: Yeah, we Miller Heimer Group often will talk about the importance of a charter Mm -hmm. and those sales enablement organizations that have a charter achieve greater success than those that don't. It's backed Mm -hmm. up by research from CSO Insights. And I guess what we haven't spoken about very often are these midpoint corrections and what then happens to the charter so that it remains relevant over the course of the implementation. And I would imagine changes would need to occur, you know, on a regular cadence when you're getting these new insights. Absolutely, and you know, you know, the, the thought leadership behind uh, Celeste
1: and Tomorrow and the CSO Insights team on what you just articulated about a sales enablement charter is something that we are definitely uh, working on in establishing that we do have our, you know, why, what, and how, but that being said, a sales enablement charter is is on the forefront and what we'll be uh, moving forward with uh, developing. That being said, uh, you know, this is a journey. Um, We're in this boat uh, together, on the bus together, uh, where we'll be making mistakes, we'll have to pivot, and we're obviously looking everybody in the face and and, and articulating the reasons why for change and um, the reasons why we need to redo something, but it all ties back to, you know, constant communication, open dialogue, uh, support from the leadership, and just a constant feedback loop that cannot be done in a vacuum. And which takes me to one point I want to make about that is you know we talk about sales enablement and all things but focusing on that word sales. This is, and I keep talking about the journey, this is something that we have marketing involved with, product involved with consulting, delivery, finance, legal. This is not a single threaded sales initiative. This is a company. Initiative and a company transformation.
0: Great insight. And I think that probably tees up if you'll allow me one more question. (laughs) For the last section of the podcast, I like to ask what your move is and to direct your advice to a specific group. In this case, let's go with sales enablement people. I think Mm -hmm. a lot of organizations out there who are setting up a sales enablement shop for the first time, they start with one hire. And so <laughs> for that for that person who is a single woman man show at the stage can you provide some actionable advice on how to still get things done even if you're a small team yeah that's
1: a fair question because it, it happens uh, a lot right a, a band of a one a team of women yeah yeah, my advice for honestly the, the person that is the sole uh, sole enablement person in the organization would be similarly the same advice for you know a team of five or even ten is you need to identify who are those key stakeholders that you are going to work with and partner with because they're out there right they have you know there are people that are across the entire organization that that you need to start engaging with and engage with pretty quickly whether to align to one of your causes or even potentially an easier path, depending on the situation aligned to one of their causes and how you can help. What are those quick wins? What are those strategic imperatives that they have themselves that you can attach to and help them win? And you'll be definitely set and seen as a valuable component to their success, not only now, but moving forward. That's my key advice is identifying people that you can work with, align to their cause and see what magic can happen from
0: that. Nick Gregory, Always a pleasure to have a chance to speak with you. And I really thank you for joining the podcast today. Thanks so much. It's been
1: a pleasure, Greg. Thank you so
0: much. There you have it, folks. An absolute marvelous playbook for a sales transformation. Thank you, Nick. And thank you, everybody, for listening to this episode of Move the Deal podcast. Move the Deal is hosted by myself, Greg Moore, produced by Miller-Hyman Group, and edited by Dan Jakes. You can subscribe to our podcast at movethedeal.com Special shout out to Miller-Hyman Group consultant, Chris Cowan, for the introduction to Nick and for making this podcast possible. Join us next episode for more timely insights on how you can see the move that moves the deal.